This meeting is being recorded. And um, what's your what's your teacher on Zoom? Yeah, no, you should get it. It's good. Is this the AI tool? I was looking at this earlier. Yeah. Okay. Can't wait. Yeah. We we were we turned it on for the podcast, but then I didn't know what I was doing with it, so I just left it. Yeah, it's quite good. It just uh, summarizes stuff for you. Fabulous. Great for the podcast explanation. Yeah, because normally I can't be fucked to write anything, so I just don't write anything. Normally, um, but now I, I quite like it because I go in on a Sunday to like link it to my Monday email, and I'm like, wonder what Emma's called this podcast. <laughs> it's like body image, creatine, and the sky, and I'm so, like, yeah. <laughs> and then like I just don't bother writing any notes. So mm. it, depending on how lazy I am, it might just have a link to the website. Well, this is great. I'm very excited for this this AI tool. Come on, the AI. Woo! Maybe okay, I'll... how are you? What's new? Um, I'm well, thank you. Not a huge amount new. Um, I've been winning against technology this week, just setting up automations and stuff where I'm like, VA could do this, but you know what? I want to learn how to do these some of these things. So set some things up myself in Zapier and like, just journeys and stuff that I have never had to go that complex before because with one-to-one you don't really need to be doing that much complex stuff and um, so that's been fun so some things are really rewarding like winning against technology for me is quite rewarding because I never win against technology um and then I think it's nice it's satisfying when you're like oh my god that works and what I I do agree with you that like you should outsource at some point definitely however knowing how it works I think is really important like everyone should have done that themselves initially and then you get someone else to do it but I, I think um I think that's a good thing to do I agree and then and then that's actually it really to be quite frank um what about you I've not been winning against technology but you are playing the long game. The long game you're going to win against technology. I feel it in my bones. Um, Annie is just saying, did you win when you sent me an automated response in the middle of our conversation? <laughs> no, that was a test to see if Annie was paying attention. Uh, I see, I see. Uh, yeah. No, it, I'm not going to lie. It's been quite a stressful week. Um, but here we are. Here we are. You know what you need to do? Be more me. Have an incense at the side of your laptop, candle at the other side. And honestly, stress just doesn't exist. No, no. Yeah, there's been many a stressful moment, but um, generally, life is pretty good. Yeah. I'm pleased. I'm very pleased. Okay, should we get cracking on the questions? We have many. Yeah. I have a question on Omega 3. How many times a week would you need to eat oily fish to not have to supplement? If you ate salmon two or three times a week, would it be all right not to supplement? Yes. That, well, the average recommendation, if you're eating two or three servings of oily fish a week, then that should be technically sufficient to, to meet the RDA. But it's whether you it's whether you push the RDA and, and consume a little bit more, which is up to you. Yeah, I mean, there is some 
research that having a bit more is useful, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember where I read that. I'm pretty sure it was... Um, Oh my god, I can't remember what his name is. We have it would have been like it, no, it wasn't, but that that general group of sports science type people. So I'm assuming it was it would have been like for athletes and I don't know if it was like immune function or if it was no, it was muscle protein synthesis. That there yeah, would but, seem to be like Yeah, but, but that's they, not the No, oh, sorry, totally interrupted you like four times there. Sorry, agreed. I can see excitement in your face. Go. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, but yeah, but no. Um, yeah. So they had. I think the omega three stuff with them. It was like for a while. Because when I was doing it was like for a while it got really like, oh, oh, it could enhance muscle protein synthesis. Oh, it can help all these things. And then actually, I think specifically muscle protein synthesis. Like two years later, then they were like, oh, actually no. Like they did someone. They're like, no more. No more beneficial. Um. I don't know I don't know the specific amounts in terms of like immune function and um um cardiovascular disease risk et cetera et cetera the the that's why they have a bit but that's what the recommendations of two or three olive fish servants have been a week uh, per week have been set on um but and you can take and then often the RDA is way lower than what's like optimal mm. And that might not, I, to be honest, off the top of my head, I don't know if that's necessarily true in this instance, but if you look at like the RDA for proteins, is like, what is it, 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight? Then we know that you're going to benefit from having more than that. So RDA isn't always the best thing to go off. It's often what's like the amount that you need to avoid deficiency as opposed to the amount that you need for like optimal health or performance. Mm. I agree. So in short, you can take more if you would like to take more, but you are technically meeting the RDA. Mm-hmm. Uh, continues, thank you for everything. This may be a stupid question, but for myself and my clients, when going on holiday away, would you recommend taking a supply of daily vitamins and supplements to continue, or would missing one to two weeks of omega, creatine, vitamin D not matter too much? I take calcium for osteopenia and try not to miss this where possible. However, I think I know what your answer is going to be. Oh, I wonder what she thinks it's going to be. I think she might be right. I would, normally, I would normally say don't bother with it. I think what's interesting is that different supplements you might have different answers to, partly because if they're like water-soluble and they leave the body quite quickly, then you might want to continue to supplement with them if they're more like a long-term supplementation. For example, I know that for creatine, it would take about 30 days of not supplementing to come back down to pre-supplementation levels so then if you're like oh i'm away for a week now if you're away for a week once a month then yeah like you you might want to consider that but if it's like i'm away for a week a couple of times a year i probably wouldn't bother taking creatine with me i agree the only thing would i recommend any of them to take look if you if you take out a calcium for osteopenia and you try not to miss it then just take it it's it's what if you're away for a week it's seven tiny little tablets you take it but that doesn't mean that you then have to take everything with you you will be absolutely I wouldn't worry about any of the general ones and then I think the only other ones maybe if you're taking things around your menstrual cycle or something like that to help with PMS and maybe I would probably take them but yeah I would generally would never recommend you would not recommend you take it but I wouldn't recommend you take it yeah 
that made sense in my head. Kira's question. Um, we question. Was just wanting to know your thoughts. Is there any science behind when you come back from holiday and really struggle to go back to your normal foods? Even if you ate nutritiously when being away, I know it's about getting back into routine, but even myself getting back to the foods that you used to have before holiday and enjoyed them, I find it hard to go back to these and most clients do too. Is it to do with having highly palatable foods when being away and your body wants to continue that when you're back? Maybe it's from what the holiday brings you and not the food. Thanks in advance. Oh, great question. I love that she's just worked to basically answered it for herself as well. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think there's probably numerous reasons. I, I definitely think you touched on something there with like, is normally nicer food. Because normally when you're on holiday, you're eating out like every day. And the food is, way, I mean, unless you're a very good cook, which I am not. So like the food is way nicer. Which means that yeah, when you come home, it's a little bit like mm, that food that I cook myself that's a little bit more bland, either become a good cook or yeah, like that. I would say that probably has something to do with it. Um, and then it is like sometimes it could be that you've been looking forward to this holiday and now you're kind of back to normal life or you, especially at this time of year, it's like you're away in the sun. It's amazing. And now it's cold and you want like stodgier starchier food that's a bit more comforting warmer there's probably a lot of things like that yeah I agree and and obviously if they're more highly palatable that you are going to get that kind of greater um, reward response to those types of foods and then the reward response you get from the foods that you have at home like oats or vegetables is not really comparable to the dopamine or the reward response that you're getting from eating out and these foods that are probably higher in fat and sugar and carbohydrates um obviously sugar is a carbohydrate so yeah there is there is that physiological not it's not a come down that's not what i mean but that 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 shift in the physiological response to those types of foods um for sure and i also think there's just like if you're having delicious food like you said you will very much notice you get into the habit of having bland food because you always have bland food and your taste receptors do regenerate i can't remember the, the number of days this is we were speaking about this on our podcast is it like a month anyway your taste receptors do like they are they do regenerate so they do change um and if you've had delicious food the idea of vegetables is like they're not, they're fine but if they're not tasty and delicious it's, you're going to be less driven to have them so it's kind of just not common sense but logical it's also probably why in some ways it's good to avoid having a lot of highly palatable foods because you get used to like that level of response and same with your taste like your taste will genuinely change like when you've been dieting there's again a few things come into this but even if you're not particularly lean if you've been dieting for a while and like vegetables start to taste better and better and you're like huh actually if I don't have a ton of like you know like really it's, I, I would say probably I don't have data for this but like especially sweeteners because they're actually sweeter than sugar where like you've got this like really intense taste and then when you have like an apple you're like oh it doesn't really taste of anything but it does it's just you've you've got like you know it's like listening to really loud music and then putting it on at like a normal volume and you're like oh I can't even really hear it but actually, it's just because you've become used to listening to it on such a high 
volume. I agree. Mm. My client has been recommended to look at cutting gluten because of her thyroid issues. What's your opinion? Is there any research suggesting that gluten should be avoided with thyroid issues? Nina, there's not no research, but but if we're looking at the body of research, then there is no research. If that's yeah, that's the best way to say it. Um, the the thing with the thyroid thing is weird. Like it, it's gluten. Gluten's the main one, isn't it? I think that tends to come up in terms of like avoiding certain stuff. Um, but there's no evidence to suggest that like any foods are. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like sufficient to change thyroid function at all. Um, if you're celiac, then sure. But other than that, like it's not something I would recommend. I think the only thing that's got some evidence behind it are like goitrogenic foods. I always say that wrong. <laughs> Things like cabbage, broccoli, like cruciferous vegetables. Um, but you have to be eating them at like super, super high amounts, like far more than you would normally have and probably what's going to make you poop your pants before you're you're hitting like the level of not having them so like it's not something it would be if I was working with someone and I have been with someone who with Hashimoto's I've said like be mindful of that um I'm assuming if they're there's thyroid they've got thyroid dysfunction that they're being medicated with that anyway um yeah and that's it and yeah that's it isn't there something to do with iodine in Hashimoto's as well? Yes. Um, there's quite a few things to do with Hashimoto's specifically, but not. Yeah, so can it can, if you eat a lot, like, I mean, it says a large amount of iodine, such as kelp. Mm. Oh, I am, to be fair, I do eat a lot of seaweed. So, you know. You are you are um, iodine rich medicines this may cause hypothyroidism or make it worse but yeah okay so I'm assuming that, that most people don't eat a lot of that um I just remember I for some reason that stuck out although it does make it actually make sense now given my family but my mum has Hashimoto so I was like oh there's definitely something like mum had said about like not having rich iodine foods or something and obviously my dad had made some kind of horrendous seaweed soup when we were on holiday at some point and I think that must have been my mum was like oh I shouldn't have too much oh I can't stop <laughs> genuine um, yeah. I would say just like for point like no food is going to cause you to have hypothyroidism like it doesn't like that that's not doesn't how isn't how it works so like in general don't ever if someone says they've got thyroid issues you don't have to be like never eat these foods or anything like or foods like that there are certain foods that can impact absorption of thyroxin but that's a side note yeah, yeah yeah that's more about like medical interactions yeah. um and i would say genuinely going gluten-free is really hard like it's just in everything that you don't even expect i think most people probably feel a benefit because what they tend to do is cut out starchy carbs or like eat a bit less bread and it's less dodgy and they're like oh it must have been the gluten but actually probably still eating a ton of gluten or maybe not a ton but like enough that you certainly not cut it out and it's not fun to eat out at restaurants and stuff I highly would not recommend it if you don't actually have to cut it out have you ever tried it cutting out gluten hmm. no no but Zoe's celiac isn't she or like doesn't of have gluten course, so yeah. 
then like every time we go out for a meal it's like can oh, I I'm sorry I'm... I have this special <laughs> I just want to be there one day when she gets a special folder how have you made my day not happened for a little while that's upset but the other day we went out for a meal and we and it was like some kind of you know they like people who don't have or restaurants that don't have diet coke but they have like some other type of diet coke that's like naturally sweetened or whatever and it and it had gluten in it but never even thought to look yeah. is, she, is she still alive she's still alive yeah he's so far i think so anyway not seen her today but um Okay, this one made me laugh. Not the question, but when I looked into this person, I don't know if you've you've probably seen her. Thoughts on Dr. Mindy Paltz and her views on the menopause and fasting. She says everyone should fast in the menopause and raising cortisol is a good thing. It, do you know what's hilarious is like you can, like I used to kind of say this as like, I don't know, pushing the truth a little bit of like you'll find an argument either way for everything, but you will genuinely find people that are like, everyone should fast during menopause and then you'll find someone else that's like no one should ever fast during menopause and you'll find someone who's like apparently spikes in cortisol is that what she said cortisol cortisol is a good cortisol and sometimes it's a bad thing it's like you literally find both um yeah. i mean it's not good or bad but i wouldn't i wouldn't be like purposely spiking it avoid anyone that says everyone should fast in the menopause you know that that's not true if you see someone say something like that and it's not clickbait then then avoid everything else that they say honestly avoid everything else they say i did actually look into her and i remembered i'd seen her before to talk about something about menopause anyway babe i don't know if you've heard about this and i don't know if you use this for your perimenopausal clients um so I feel like you want to take a note for this. Luckily, AI is taking our notes. Um, she recommends different fasting protocols at different stages of the cycle. And specifically on days 11 to 15, that is the manifestation phase. So you, I, I don't actually know what you're manifesting. I'm assuming you're manifesting changes in your estrogen levels. That's the only thing that I can think. Oh. I know it's it's very like so I did listen to I actually think I listened to the whole Diary of the CEO episode she was on because a few of my clients were like oh my god I listened to this and it was amazing and I was like oh no so anyway I had listened to it and like debunked a lot of it but yeah it's just it, it's basically just fasting stuff yeah but, but like with no evidence but is being pushed like it is evidence did you also see that the fact fat doctor as she calls herself not me calling her this um has been going around again no Why? yeah so she was on like it must i think it's like lbc radio or something mm -hmm. and was just like essentially like dieting doesn't work everyone puts the weight back on um the even the the presenter was like what so if i only eat lettuce and I run every day, I'll still put on weight. And she's like, yeah. I did see that. Can you imagine? I, when I would put my medical degree on it. I'm like, come on. This oh, yeah. is ridiculous. 
you know what it's really worrying for someone like that to get airtime because that is confusing for people like mm. a doctor is saying that and why why are the gmc or whoever it is is that right or am i thinking of good morning britain or something <laughs> close why aren't the stuff being like the council why aren't the regulators being like we can't have a doctor saying that. Is she still a practicing medical doctor? Because I wonder if she's not anymore and that's why she can get away with it. I don't know, like, what's upsetting, like, what's upsetting is that it will confirm people's beliefs that they cannot lose fat. People that could genuinely benefit from losing fat for their health and they're like, see, see, I just can't, like, it's just wild. Can you imagine not losing weight if you're only eating lettuce? Like, it's just basic. Com- it's basic science. I say basic common sense, but that's actually I'll just it's yeah, it's not even science, it's just like how does she explain starvation then? I don't know if she does. I don't know if she just doesn't talk about it. I'm gonna go and look at some of the stuff after this though. Can he wait? Yeah, it's pretty it is disappointing because you're right, it will confirm some people's beliefs and then they'll just stop trying altogether. Do you know what is a little bit sad um is that I think when this came about years and years ago I think we spoke on fitness unfiltered about it once and like we kind of looked into her a little bit and like I looked at her website and stuff and she has this blog I don't know if it's still up but you can tell that actually she's just struggled loads with her own weight and she's probably never had the right support she's probably never had someone who actually listens to her who actually tries to make it work for her who's actually supported her for weight loss that's why she's never got results and now she's so shut after it she probably never will but like yeah it's just you can see that it's coming through like her lens of her experiences and mm. yeah I thought like for us like I did there is an element of, element of me that feels sorry for her as an individual but the message that she's putting out I think is so damaging yeah I agree you can hold space for both the fact that she's obviously been through a lot and that's her best um but it's not good enough yeah Emily says that people have reported her multiple times to the GMC and she was cleared every time oh that's concerning mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. with that one um I have a few clacks I have a few clients that struggle with depression. Some of them are on medication, some are not. What's the best way to support them? Well, I I mean, it's not your job to support them with the depression side. That that's great that they're getting like medical advice for that or like proper support for that. But there's so much of what you do as a personal trainer that helps them like exercise one of the best things you can be doing eating well best thing you can be doing like investing in yourself in your well-being and your happiness getting people to journal getting people to show gratitude like it's not going to cure depression but it's certainly going to help manage it it's certainly going to do the, do all the things that elevate mood hmm. i think something to recognize especially if you've not had depression before in fact we were having this conversation quite recently is with depression it's like um the best way that I can describe it based on the stories that I've heard from friends and clients and stuff it's like you you know that these things are good for you like you know that exercise is good for you but you you don't even you don't want to do it like you struggle some people who are struggling with depression don't want to get out of bed so 
you saying okay exercise is going to like be really good for you like you are like what Emma just said is so right like what you're doing is you have the you are in an optimal position to support them with all of the stuff that you can support them with but they may turn around to you and just say like I'm not done it and not have a reason not have an excuse but like they just don't want to do it they don't want some people just don't want to get out of bed and and so then it's about for you it's like okay well how can I support them can I help with can we just say okay instead of like this big massive gym session can you commit to a 50 like going just for 50 minutes if you want to leave after 50 minutes you can leave after 50 minutes can you commit to doing it first thing in the morning you get up and do it and if you want to go back to bed after it you can go back to bed after it can you like prep well, you're probably not going to prep your meals but can you make sure that when you do go to the shop or you do a food delivery that you order things like pots of greek yogurt food and stuff and you're not ordering other types of food that you maybe you're not going into the shop to order stuff and um, you're not going into the shop to buy it because that will impact what food you actually end up buying it's about starting as like seeing meeting them where they are and if you haven't experienced depression i think that it's very hard to put yourself in that position of just like but just just do like a little bit sometimes that's really hard so really saying like what is feasible for you but that's good coaching anyway like we'd say that all the time asking someone what can you commit to if this feels like too much what are you willing to to commit to for this one week and then reassess um but like you said i'm like you're in a good position and it's not your job to really have a say on the depression side of things yeah yeah so i take the pressure off yourself with that side but exactly what amelia is saying like actually even the small behaviors of like okay but can we get out for a walk today because once they do that, they will feel even just half a percent better, which might mean that they make half a percent better food choices or maybe go out for a second walk or do like a very short workout or even just get to the gym or whatever that is. But it's like every little step that you do will improve your mood just slightly, which means you're then more likely to make a decision in line with your goals next which will probably mean that you improve your mood a little bit more like if they go out for a 10 minute walk in the morning they're way more likely to then have a healthy breakfast which means you're more likely to feel good about yourself like you've nourished yourself which means you might I don't know park further from work and then like walk a little bit further in like just these little small things make a big difference and you celebrating them as well that makes a big difference as well so yeah I think maybe reassessing the start point because if it's like I, I don't even want to get out of bed okay fine we don't want anything overwhelming but what is going to make you feel better is knowing that you've ended today just a little bit closer to your goal or you know you can say three things that you've done that you've done for your future self or that you you know will make you feel better even if you don't feel better yet mm. any guidance please on creating supplementation for someone with intracranial hypertension not currently medicated and a previously managed condition with weight loss the information i've gathered so far is creatine is not usually recommended for those with high blood pressure and because it may in theory exacerbate damaging effects of hypertension but it seems to be conflicting i recommend checking with your gp first if it's something she'd like to pursue but i'd be interested to know if this is something you've come across before i've not come across that no I have intracranial pressure. Intracranial hypertension. I've I've come across people with intracranial hypertension, like idiopathic. Um, 
but not this specific situation but like Stacey you're totally right I wouldn't recommend it I, the data is conflicting around it in terms of theoretically it makes sense because of because of the water retention side of things um, and the impact that could have on hypertension so if it were me I would I just wouldn't recommend it to be to be totally honest I, I for, in that specific situation with the data that we have available that's conflicting I don't know I don't but then I would say look I can't recommend creating but if you're something you want to pursue speak to your doctor about it and if they're happy for you to take it then take it yeah, yeah and then I'd really explain like the pros and cons of creatine because I think some, like sometimes I think it's overplayed sometimes I think it's like overlooked and it would be a useful thing for people to take but like it's not it's not going to change your life it's not suddenly going to make you build a ton of muscle it's not suddenly going to get completely rid of your brain fog if you're struggling with that like it might have small benefits and the reason that we recommend it well like the reason I recommend it so much at least is that there are very few negative side effects for most people now if there were negative side effects I don't think I'd be recommending it you know like if it was like yeah you might get these positives but also that comes with the, all these negatives I'd probably be like mm, like that equation like pros versus cons is kind of like not swaying in the right direction for me anymore I wouldn't bother with it, it it's not like a complete no-brainer if there's negatives so yeah it, and I maybe wouldn't even because I've definitely had clients and I, I can't remember exactly why I think she just got really had negative side effects from it whether it was like an upset stomach or something but anyway she ended up not taking it and she was like so upset that she couldn't take it and there were other people like this was group coaching so other people in the group being like oh I've got these incredible benefits since, since I started taking creatine and it's like you probably haven't realistically like it's probably a bit of a placebo like it's not going to make that much difference especially not in a small period of time like most of these things you probably won't feel it's like being like oh I started taking vitamin d and suddenly like no 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 like you're not really going to feel any different from doing this stuff it's just there might be a bit of a benefit okay. so yeah I'd, I'd wait mm. I, I think that's I have a client who is very into all sorts of testing, gut information, etc. But this is a new question, and I slipped this one right in. And who recently was advised to go gluten free with no actual diagnosis, which then quote unquote cured her brain fog, sleep issues, and bloating, and said was transformative for her, as whoever she went to said it was inflammation in her body. But now she's convinced that's why she's not losing weight after several months, and that is more than energy balance. She has scheduled more appointments with her endocrinologist now in search of answers and is very adamant it's nothing to do with calories, although she won't share her diary with me. I care a lot about her, but I feel like anything I say from an evidence-based standpoint lands on deaf ears. I appreciate this is quite specific. I don't think it's that specific, Annie. I mean, this is obviously specific, but like it's a general issue that we all face in terms of people not like listening to people who are not evidence-based. And, and I think more and more common now that not to blame the diary of a CEO, but it's the large part to blame, you know, or like having people like the fat doctor on actual TV talking about this stuff. Like, and the issue is they're weighed up against this. Or normally, you know, there's not someone on there being like, 
rationally what we need to do is this and I'm also a doctor and this has worked with numerous people and this is the evidence and here's all the studies that we've seen they don't weigh them against that they're like here's a doctor versus the person that I don't know talks about the news on LBC or whatever like they're not specialists so it's not an even playing field they're bringing them on as the expert so then they're painted as the expert and it's much the same as like on a diary of a CEO like he even even to give Stephen Bartlett credit like you wouldn't invite someone on your podcast and then completely disagree with them so he might be able to say certain things like huh I heard that you could lose weight without fasting or oh that manifestations phase sounds quite strange like is there evidence for that but you can't be like that sounds like fucking bullshit like you have to be like somewhat polite about it so now these people are kind of like it looks like they're having the backing they're being put on this big platform and not necessarily questioned to the extent that you would want to actually show evidence and the evidence they do put out there isn't disputed because probably the other person doesn't know how to dispute that evidence and then it does look legit and then you're there like okay I get that you've been completely convinced by this two hour long episode on why you shouldn't eat this and should eat that and blah 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 from an actual doctor but I'm telling you something completely different. That's quite hard. Now, I would say that probably like showing the opposite as in like, if they've listened to a full podcast on it and have been completely kind of like brainwashed into it, you're probably gonna have to do something similar to brainwash them out of it, right? So if you're like, if if one of your clients is like, I'm obsessed with Dr. Mindy, this is all the stuff she says and blah, 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 you might have to go in if you want to do this and pick apart each part and be like, there isn't evidence for this. This doesn't make any sense. Or I understand why she's saying this, but this is why it's working. Not the reason that she's saying. So yes, you might lose weight, but it's not necessarily because you're fasting, it's because you've created a deficit. And here's all this evidence to show that it's energy balance that's going to dictate fat loss and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, you might have to kind of break down each point in a fair way and give a balanced argument. And then then hopefully they'll buy into your side of it. I like that. And I, I like that a lot. I'm just thinking realistically what else, like realistically what else you can do. Um, I think wait and see what the endocrinologist apparently says. And also, is it an endocrinologist or is it like a naturopath endocrinologist? Like, yeah, an endocrinologist. Cause... Or is it a hormone specialist? Mm, yeah. I know many of those certified online for hours yeah. done. Um, hormone coach. Yeah, worth finding out that. Like, uh, and it's hard to not, not do that in a condescending way, but just sort of say, I'd love to see some of their research. Can you tell me? put it as or whatever and then see that their research is is diary of a CEO um I, honestly wait and see what come, they, what they come back with and, and and I would just I would stand clear and and stand firm sorry and that like I'm happy for you to um change things based on like what they've said if that's what you want to do but my recommendation against this is because of x y and z um and then let and then let them make an informed decision and like I've had a client once do a, a, an alveolar cleanse on me and I was like this is years ago and I was like look there's, there's no benefit to this there's no evidence to this but if you feel really passionately about it you can do it if you want but 
the potential outcomes of this are X, Y, and Z, make a decision. And they did it and it was fine. And then now she's an evidence-based coach and was like, I can't believe I used to do that, but that's fine. Um, so I, I think same goes here. Like at the end of the day, you can't force her to do anything. Um, all you can do is keep like sharing the evidence. Maybe you do a podcast on it. I don't know. Not not that specific example, obviously, but like um, a fatless one about calories and realistically some of the evidence behind it. And you can maybe throw in there some of the common things that people think it might be stress, inflammation, blah, 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 and just throw it in there. Um, yeah, I think that's all you can really do. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, how do you both go go about making differentiating? Sorry, how do you both go about differentiating between when you're making quote unquote excuses versus you actually maybe just need to rest and cut some slack? This is the second time I've answered this question today, but it was in a, from a client. So interesting. Is this in terms of like work or in terms of like with clients? Yeah, this is Annie's question. I'm assuming more related to business and work. Differentiate between you're making excuses when you just need to invest and cut some slack. I mean, it, it is hard to know. It is. I don't, I don't think one gets this totally right. It's very hard to be objective with yourself. I think you have to be realistic with like what results you're expecting from the work that you're putting in. And like, if you want to build a business like it is going to be hard probably not going to have a nine to five like if you don't want the average results you can't put in average level efforts so there's that element but then there's also like I read a really good quote the other day I think it was Kevin Kelly and it was like if you or it's something like strong work ethic has to be supported by a good rest ethic and when you actually realize that actually just doing more and more your quality of work gets worse and worse your creativity gets worse how you show up gets worse you end up also just not having the energy like it and it normally takes a little bit of time right I guess it's like what actual burnout would be but it's kind of like the overtraining side like you're not recovering well enough you're not waking up the next day excited to work anymore that's probably quite a good sign for me I know it's when I'm not excited anymore I'm overworked mm -hmm. Um, agree agree can I be really ETPHD about it and say like try and take yourself out of like the the shoulds and the rules and the expectations in your head and actually like go inside and actually think like like you said all the obvious things in terms of how are you like are you trying to get get like get your client check-ins out of the way are you um trying to like brush over your work or just try and get it done as fast as possible obviously those things but then it's also like physically how how are you feeling like are you feeling exhausted are you feeling anxious are you feeling apathetic um these types of feelings suggest that you probably need a break or potentially to change things up like for example apathy might be because you're you're overworked you're getting that depersonalization you're getting that burnout but it could also be actually that you're not enjoying what you do anymore because you've lost the you're maybe out of alignment with your values and all these things right but I would look at realistically in your head you'll be like oh I should be working I should be doing more because everyone's doing more or I should be resting because someone said I should take a day off every week like take 
like take all of those away and then think okay how do I feel when I show up at work how do I feel in my body am I sleeping these types of things and then I mean ideally you want to get catch it before you get to the point where you're like you're not sleeping and you are apathetic and the more you learn about your own self and the more you learn about like your work process and stuff the easier you'll be able to like tap into that before you get to the point where you're absolutely hammered and like exhausted hopefully yeah yeah and then I think with clients it's it's kind of a similar thing like the sweet spot I guess for both because I know when I'm not working very much I'm actually more tired and when I'm working too much like I'm stressed and I don't have any creativity and I'm snappy and whatever and it's like, there's like a middle ground where actually I'm pretty busy but I'm excited about it all and I think that's kind of the sweet spot and it's same with like when you're working with clients there'll be a sweet spot where actually the amount of exercise and activity and like calories they're eating and food and whatever like everything they're doing is actually giving them more energy and allowing them to show up at their best which is exactly the sweet spot you want to get to which looks different for everyone obviously and then will move depending on like the time of month or what other stresses they have and like if their kids need them more or someone got ill or you know whatever all these things like that the annoying part is that sweet spot moves probably every day realistically because different parts of your life will require more of you every day but what you want is it to give you more energy not less and then I think there is the other side of like it's hard because it, it comes back to like knowing your values knowing what you want to build knowing what you're willing to sacrifice because if you will always have say like a pie chart of energy like depending on how if you're giving 50 percent of that to work okay well then you have less to give to other areas of your life now if that's the choice you want to make great do it if it's not the choice you want to make then you need to make sure that you're managing your time and your energy in relation to what's most important and then this is a bit of a side note but i do think energy management i've noticed this myself energy management not just time management is so underrated like I definitely had time to do yesterday. I think I finished work at like half four because I was so unbelievably tired and I had time to do more stuff. I just, didn't, I was gone, like big launch on the weekend, probably a bit of like adrenaline come down, whatever. And there was, there was, might've been time, but there was no energy and that has to be managed too. And normally we're quite bad at that because often what's urgent isn't important, right? So you get up, you spend your best energy doing emails and then you're like right yeah at the end of the day I'll record that podcast when you actually want to be fresh and excited and engaged and then you've got no energy left because you spent it all on irrelevant emails that you could have done later on with less brain energy so I would prioritize that when you're thinking about your day as well as like the time allocated to things like do you actually have the creativity and the energy to do that at your best Agreed. Okay, that's the last question. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Oh, wait. We're still here. Oh, my God. We're still here. <laughs>